Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll be getting in verse 38 in just a moment. While you're being generous this morning and giving to, as Galen talked about, the things that we want to invest in in the kingdom and bless other people, I want to encourage you that we will be having our Thursday night service, which will uh, open in January, and we're looking for people that are willing to give us a year's commitment to serve on Thursday nights and to participate and just be there to be a blessing. Uh, we have a large uh, core group that's been developed and is uh, working toward that goal, but we need a team uh, that will commit. And if you have any questions or any desire or where you'd like to serve or interest in it, you can go to our Welcome Center uh, following service today, and either Adam Everett or Jake Harp will meet you there and answer any questions you have. But we are praying as a leadership uh, that 150 or more people from, from these services on Sunday morning would say, I'll make Thursday night my night of worship, and, and I'll serve in that, and I'll bless those people who come and join us. So if you're interested in that, please uh, take some time this morning or in the next few weeks to go to the Welcome Center, speak to Adam or Jake, and they'll answer any questions you might have. Uh, If you are visiting, my name is Mark. We're glad you're here. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers at this church. And uh, we've been in a long series through the Gospels, taking what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, said about Jesus and putting it together in our best estimate of a chronology and studying through this. And uh, I've seen a correlation over the last few weeks. Uh, Three weeks ago, Michael DeFazio spoke, and he talked about uh, being sent the passage where Jesus sent the 72 out and he gave them a commission and they came back with some amazing things that had happened and Jesus told them, don't get too happy about all the miracles you performed. Instead, rejoice in the freedom that was found. If we create sacred space to be sent, God will put us in situations where the gospel will work. And then two weeks ago, we were in the passage where the disciples said to Jesus, "Uh, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus taught him to pray, but he gave him a parable of someone who had a great need and his neighbor met his need, not because the neighbor was good, but because the guy was annoying. And Jesus said, how much more will God bless you? And then he taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's all about God. That our our sacred space we create to pray is not about what we need, it's about who God is and we rest in that. Then last week, Uh, we talked about creating the sacred space to sacrifice for other people. And Jesus told a parable of a man who was going down a road and he got beaten up and left for dead and he was in a ditch and three men had an opportunity to bless him and one chose to bless him. One chose to get uh, into the ditch and get into the mess and inconveniences in whole life and Jesus said, go and do likewise. So what we've seen is this correlation over the last few weeks, uh, concluding in today's message, where creating sacred space in our lives matters. You see, today we're going to create sacred space for the one thing that each of us needs. And as a preacher, I love this. When Jesus tells us we all need it, then I don't have to justify to you why I'm talking about it. I can just say, Jesus said we need it, so we need it, so let's pay attention and see what happens. I want to tell you as we go forward that our character is not forged in the epic moments of life. It's revealed in those moments. And we tend to think that when we need to have courage and when we need to have strength and when we need to have boldness, we'll have it. Well, you won't have those three things if you're not forging those in the everyday moments of your life. And today we're going to see a scene in Jesus' life, an everyday scene. There's nothing spectacular about it, but it's one of those moments that forge our character for the great moments. 
You see, there's a, Jesus is going into town, and he goes by and he stops by the house of Martha. Martha has a sister, Mary and Lazarus. They're friends of his, and it's an everyday scene because it's in the everyday moments that we become who we want to be. Let's read verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. It's an interesting interaction. Just a few verses, four or five verses in an everyday moment. It's the home of Martha. We know it's her home because it's stated there in verse 38 that this is her place. Her brother and her sister must live with her, at least Mary does. We know that Jesus has a relationship with these people, and he must visit there regularly. They must host him. We know Jesus didn't have a home, and he said that he was reliant upon people's hospitality, and Mary and Martha must have been uh, two of those that were regular, because in John chapter 11, which we'll get to in a few weeks, when Lazarus falls sick, they call for him, and they're told, the one whom you love is sick. Jesus had a relationship with these folks. So we have these two sisters. We have this dinner We have this teacher coming to their house to teach. It must have been a regular occurrence. We have this juxtaposition, right? We have this one sister who appears responsible and the other appears selfish. We have one sister who's frustrated and the other is quite fulfilled. One sister chooses what the world will say was the better choice and one chooses what is needed. Today's message will be a harder teaching than normal. In fact, it's going to get up in your business. And I totally intend that. Not because I have this power over you to demean you. I would never demean you. I would never shame you. But today we're going to stand before correction. When the Apostle Paul wrote to a young preacher named Timothy, he challenged Timothy. He said that the Word of God does something. The Word of God does four things, in fact. The the Word of God tells us what is right. He calls it teaching. It tells us what is not right. He calls it rebuke. He says it tells us how to get right, correction, and it tells us how to stay right, training in righteousness. Let me say that again. The word of God will show us what is right and what is not right, how to get right and how to stay right. Today's text and Jesus in this moment does not offer just a, oh, you're okay. He offers a correction, an exhortation, a challenge to respond. And I want to show you how we're able to accept that today if we'll continue to listen. Martha is being swept along by what society says she needs to be working on. And Mary is swept into something that Jesus says every one of us needs. Martha's in the kitchen, and Jesus is sitting, or Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And that terminology matters. So what I want to do this morning, if you'll allow me, I want to take you to what happens when we don't sit at Jesus' feet, using Martha as our prism, And then I want you to look at what it is to sit at Jesus' feet using Mary and what Jesus says about her. Because the difference between the two women is the choices they're making, not their character. So when Jesus corrects us, something interesting happens. What happens when we don't sit at Jesus' feet? Well, if you look at Martha here, let's begin with a couple of points that just help us build the case. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Now, what's funny is when you're reading that, the, the mental voice you use, is, you use will indicate whether or not you think God's down on you or for you. I want you to understand that 
Jesus is using this term. It's like when he says truly, truly. He's using this thing called magnification. You'll find that whenever a name is repeated twice in the biblical text, that there is this emotive moment. It's a moment of compassion. Think of when David and his son rebelled. David cried out, Absalom, oh Absalom, my son, my son. Can you feel the emotion and the weight of that? You have Jesus in Luke chapter 22 overlooking the city that's about to betray him and crucify him. And he says, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, how I would love to take you under my wings. And on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God. He's quoting Psalm 22, which is an emotive, compassionate psalm. And so when he says, Martha, Martha, he's not, he's not like looking down on her and demeaning her. He's saying, oh, Martha, there's something more for you than this. But the most important point I want to make as we head into this particular application is this. Jesus cares about Martha even though he corrects her. He loves her. He has compassion for her, but that does, not stopping, that does not stop him from correcting her. And I want to say that this morning. Please listen to what the text is saying to us and let yourself be corrected rather than offended. Open yourself up to the fact what would Jesus say the same thing to me that he's saying to Martha? And so here we go. Martha was valuing some things too highly. And it, it's shown by the fact that she's not lazy. She's serving. She's providing hospitality. She's doing a good thing. And even when we do a good thing, there could be a moment of correction needed. See, Jesus corrects her not for what she's doing, but for what she's missing out on. He says, the one thing that you need that can't be taken away from you Uh, is not what you're focusing your life on. She is serving Jesus, which is nice, but she's not experiencing him. He's in her home, and he doesn't just want a fancy meal. He doesn't care if the wine is chilled just perfectly and the right proper dishes and you have the right number of forks. He didn't care about that. He wants Martha to sit with him and be in relationship with him and to have this with him. A cheese sandwich with Jesus is better than a gourmet meal without him. He's saying... Martha, Martha, let's come out of the kitchen and sit down. Mary's chosen better. So how do you know that you've prioritized the wrong things? If we look at Martha, there's three things you can see here. If your life is out of balance and you're focusing on the things that the world says you need to do, you're not focusing on the things you need, here's some of the indicators. First of all, there's inner turmoil. In verse 41, it says, you're worried and upset. And the word worried used in this particular text by Luke is that Jesus said to her, you're being torn to pieces. You, you, you got a you hundred things going on and none of them are that important, but they're killing you. Now, I asked first hour this and they, they lied in church. Can you imagine those people? We need them here at church if they're going to lie to me. So I want to ask you, and God is watching, so feel a little bit of pressure. How many of you hate Mondays because everything you did last week is now over and doesn't matter anymore? Martha, Martha, Martha. It can happen to us, can't it? We get so caught up in in doing what we have to do and all the things people expect of us and going above and beyond and creating a place and a space for ourselves that we're worried and we're torn. See, she's trying so hard to do what is expected, she's missing what is needed. And Jesus contrasts the two sisters. He says to Martha, you're not doing anything wrong, but you're not doing what's best. And look at Mary. What Mary chose can't be taken from her. And I'll explain what that means, hopefully, in just a few moments. You see, there was no rest no Sabbath, no time to stop and think. Martha was go, 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 do, do, do. She was a performer. 
she was productive, we would look at her and think, she's an industrious woman. And Jesus went, yeah, but she's not taking what she needs from me. She's just doing all the time. Second thing, there's a resentment toward others. Now, you can tell they're siblings. They didn't have to tell us they were sisters because she said, do you see what she's doing? Tell her to help me. And if you have siblings, you understand that, right? We've all narked on our our brothers and sisters because they weren't carrying the same weight we were. And she basically is crying out to Jesus, how can she sit there when I'm working so hard? It isn't what? Well, there you go. And there's suspicion toward God's goodness. Also look in verse 40. Lord, don't you care? Wow. I I just think of like the people in my life that have this authority over me. I can't imagine ever looking at my mom and dad or going, don't you care? Because I'd be afraid of the answer. My father would go, no, I'm good. But see, is the question really, does Jesus care? Or is she asking Jesus, don't you care about what I care about? And at that point in time, Jesus' answer is no. You're so worried and torn apart by these things and none of them are going to last. Mary, there's going to be a meal again tomorrow and then a meal after that and a meal after that and to, to ruin a good opportunity today to do something that could be done another time. You see, the point is, Jesus is saying, I don't need all of this. I need you. I don't care if everything's perfect. I don't care if, if society says, what a great meal you throw and how perfect your home is. I don't need it. I need you. Remember, I told you that when Michael talked about it three weeks ago, when they sent the 72 out and they came back and Jesus said, yeah, I saw, I saw Satan fall from the skies. And they were like, yes. And he's like, but remember, it was the freedom that you gave, not the miracles you performed that matter. Martha, Martha, don't get caught up in the wrong things. You see, the question of the morning then is what happens when we don't sit at Jesus' feet? Our life get out of balance, we focus on the things that don't matter, and we invest our lives in things that are going to be taken away from us and given to somebody else. What happens when we do sit at Jesus' feet? You see, we receive something that we can't get any other way. Here's what I want you to hold on to. If you've tuned me out, and I understand why you did, Tune back in for 10 seconds. When you sit at Jesus' feet, you receive something you can't get any other way. You get him. And the way you get Jesus is to submit yourself to him by sitting at his feet. You don't don't get him on Sunday mornings for 28 minutes while I'm teaching you what he taught me. You get him when you spend time with him. So the meal's not as amazing as it could be, but there is still joy and relationship and love and trust. And what does that mean? Mary put herself physically and spiritually and socially at Jesus' feet. She sat as his student. She sat as his child and as his friend. You see, in the days of Jesus, education was a, a powerful thing because I would take my sons and I would take both Alex and Braden and I would give them to a teacher who would shape them toward their gifting and they would spend time with him or her sitting at their feet and learning from them and doing what they told them to do and being mentored and apprenticed or whatever term you want to use. And it was a powerful experience. And then the teacher would send the child back home with the blessing saying, I have taught them what they can learn. And Mary sat at Jesus' feet. In Acts chapter 5 in the early church, when there was a famine in the land and money was being raised for people that were struggling in the name of Jesus, they would come and Acts chapter 5 says they would lay their offerings at the apostles' feet. They submitted their riches to the trust 
of those that they were being led by. This is what it means in the Old Testament when it says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, where's the footstool located? At your feet. And there's a powerful imagery here that we Americans, we never sit at anybody's feet. Well, we better learn. Because Jesus said it's the most needed thing. It's to sit at his feet because it can't be taken from us. You see, Jesus can't be understood with hot takes. You can't get 20 minutes of, 28 minutes of Jesus every Sunday morning and feel like you have an understanding of who he is. That 28 minutes should cause you to contemplate and meditate and then to trust it enough to experience it. That's why we've been talking recently about there's a part of every teaching of God that goes to your head, your hands, and your heart. And letting it draw in means that you need to take what you're learning in various places and you need to sit with those because Jesus cannot be understood in a hot take. It takes time. It takes sitting at his feet. It takes saying no to other things that seem so important to say yes to the thing that is most important. See, it takes sacred space. We have to carve it out. A sacred space that says no to some things that we enjoy to enjoy something more deeply. It was pointed out to me, and it frustrated me that I'd never seen this before in 30 years of preaching. I'd never seen this in... uh, John chapter 12. I mean, I knew the story. I knew that after Lazarus had died and was raised to life, that Mary came into a moment where Jesus was at a dinner and Mary began to anoint his feet with oil and it was expensive oil and it filled the room with the smell of the perfume and a couple of disciples who were always missing out, they responded. Do you remember what they said? That money could have been used to feed the poor. That was a waste of money. Why would she do that? And Jesus said, don't, don't, don't. He said what she actually did was she prepared me for burial. And what she did will be spoken of forever. That's a big statement. They were saying, why did she do this? And Jesus said, you ought to be glad she did. And what I didn't discover until I was doing some some research on it was a, a teacher taught me this, that Mary was the one who got it. She finally realized he was going to die. She was preparing him for burial. See, Jesus had said repeatedly over and over and over, They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to die as as a ransom. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. And the disciples were like, nah. Because they never sat at his feet. They were with him all the time, but they didn't pay attention. They didn't take what he said. Mary did, though. When nobody else in the room was understanding it. The disciples didn't get it when he said it that night. They didn't get it on the night of his betrayal. They didn't get it when he died and they went back to the room and they locked themselves in, scared for their lives. They didn't understand that what he'd been saying over and over, but Mary did. And I believe she got it because she sat at his feet. She was the one who understood. See, you only get Jesus by sitting at his feet, no other way. And if you wonder what I mean by sitting at his feet, we'll talk about that in just a, just a moment. By attentively paying attention to who he was, what he said, and experiencing it, she got what other people missed. In Mark's account of this, in Mark 14, verse 9, till the end of time, what she has done will not be forgotten. And 2,000 years later, some bald guy's standing on a stage talking about it. And there really, there's no menu of what Martha served or who was in the room. None of that's ever recorded. What mattered matters. Well, let's take every piece of the gospel back to where it needs to land. Let's take it back to Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to sit at the feet of God's will. 
You see, what I love about Jesus, and one of the many things I love about him, is he never asks you and I to do anything he himself has not done. Let me explain. How does he sit at his own feet? No, he sat at the will of his father. He sat at the feet of his father, and he did his will over and over. Remember I said that epic moments do not forge your character. The everyday choices you make forge your character. The epic moments reveal your character. But Jesus submitted himself to sit at the feet of God's will. When he carries the cross and he sees the women weeping on the road to Calvary, Jesus quotes to them the book of Hosea. What he says to them comes right out of the prophet's message. When he's on the cross and he's alone, he quotes Psalm 22. When he's tested by Satan in the wilderness, he quotes scripture. What came out of Jesus in the worst moments of his life when he was beaten, stabbed, and betrayed was scripture. In the garden, he cried out, scripture. He dealt with the deepest, worst parts of his life with the presence of God's will. How did he cry out scripture? Because he came to one conclusion, knowing what he knew and sitting in the presence of the power of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the word of God, he was able to say, my will, no. His character was proven because then he responded, his will, yes. And if you and I want to live out this life of abundance and fulfillment in Jesus Christ, then we have to be able to answer this question. My will? No. His will? Yes. And that is forged in the everyday decisions we make to sit at the feet of Jesus. I believe with everything I am that there will be no strength when you need it most. There will be no courage when you need it most if every day you are not doing what it takes to be strong and courageous in Christ. When the big moments of life come upon us, we will default back to what makes others think of us or what others think of us and what makes us most powerful or protects our interests rather than saying, my will, no. His will, yes. So let me talk to your head this morning. It's really easy in a sermon to make it all about information and we want to go beyond this. So to your head, I want to tell you this. The one thing that needs done before anything else is that which feeds our soul. The one thing that needs done, the one priority of our lives that has to proceed and take priority over everything else is what feeds our soul. That's what we need to know. But how do we do this? How do we truly experience this? Let's talk about our hands. And this is where I told you that this morning is not going to be about information. It's going to be about correction. And I want to tell you, I'm going to start in the house of Mark and Heather Christian. So I don't stand up here feeling like we've got it all together. I want to tell you, though, that the challenge that I'm offering you is the same challenge that has to come into my home. If you and I sit down and listen to Jesus, if we take the time out of our everyday lives, we're going to have to say no to some of the things that have us most busy. And I want to be clear about this. The things that have you most busy are not bad things. So the things that you're being involved in are not things that I'm saying you never should have done them. Well, maybe some of them are. I don't know. You answer that with Jesus. But I'm thinking the majority of the stuff that keeps us busy are good things. They're not bad. And I could talk about things that I've experienced in my life. It might be sports. There's nothing bad about sports. Sports has shaped part of my character. It left a lot to be desired, but it shaped part of my character. Music and, and band and, and, and academic pursuits and the pursuit of scholarships. Please hear me right now. None of those things are wrong within themselves. They are all not the what you need. And so when we look in our homes, the question we have to ask ourselves, especially on a day when we 
bring parents on stage and pray a blessing over their children is the responsibility of a parent is not to be liked. The responsibility of a parent is to form your child in the way they should go so when they get older, they will not depart from it. You see, the, the one thing that needs to be done above anything else is what feeds your soul. So parents, I do have a word from one parent to the other. Are you teaching, training, and, and encouraging your children toward their soul's work equally to the way you train them and encourage them and provide for them for their sports or music or social activities or friendships or dating relationships? Because if the answer is right now, no, don't get angry, be corrected. Realize that the relationships, you know, I used to teach a, you know, some of you will laugh at this, I used to teach an interpersonal relationship class and the girls hated me because my opening line in every class was, every relationship will end up in death or breakup. And they were like, we hate you. I'm like, but it's true. The only relationships that will never end are the ones that are eternal, right? And so when we look at this, parents, I'm asking you today, I'm not suggesting that your kids shouldn't be in sports. I'm not suggesting they shouldn't pursue academics strongly. They should. That's a part of forming them. But at the end of the day, it's the soul work being done with the equal effort. And do your children know that matters to you? Grandparents, do your adult children know that their soul matters more than their income or their prestige or their station in life? I meet parents regularly who say they love Jesus, but they would never let their child miss a sports practice. They'd never let their child miss a tournament. They'd never let them miss a concert, but will find it okay to not be with the body on a Sunday or to, be, to go to small group or to go to a Wednesday night study where they can go deeper in the Word. You would dismiss that like that's not important. Your children aren't missing that message. They know it's important by the way you're investing in their time. So you don't have to do one or the other, but you have to do one. And Jesus said, that's what's most needed is to sit at my feet. And so for those of you thinking right now, well, here's a preacher begging for attendance on Sunday. Nope. This isn't about attendance. This is about attentiveness. This is about conversations that have to happen on Monday through Saturday. So you're not in the house of worship on a Sunday morning for a very good reason. No worries. But are you having conversations with your children about the most important things? Are you expressing to them that we're still going to worship Jesus today even though we're not in a church building? That on Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, you're having conversations with your kids. God will give you sacred space if you'll open yourself up to it. I tell you... I've had greater conversations with both of my boys in rides in our car than I've ever had with them in church. But the two balance themselves out really well because they know what I believe and now I need to know what they believe in and the soul work. So church, are you with me? We are telling our families what's most important and I pray that we will stand up today and say the soul work, sitting at Jesus' feet, is more important than anything else we invest ourselves in. This is not about attendance. It's about attentiveness. You see, Jesus is changing everything upside down. He's reorienting us to how we love God. We love God by going out and proclaiming the gospel. We love God by spending time relying on him in prayer. We love God by how we serve people in ditches and love them in the name of Jesus. And we love God by sitting at his feet and drawing in through his word and through prayer and through meditation and just stopping the world for a moment to say, I am about something bigger than this world demands of me. And so are my family. So let's talk to our heart. Jesus is teaching us that there are many demands on us and 
Many of them seem crucial and the world presses on us. But one thing is needed and one thing can't be taken away from us. That one thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him, thinking about him, speaking to him and listening, and then responding. You see, there's so many things available to us. It might sound like an infomercial, but please understand, one of the reasons we're making right now media available to you is on those moments that you can't be where the body of Christ is on a Sunday or a Wednesday or you miss a small group. There's so many resources. You know how spoiled we are in our day today to be able to sit at Jesus' feet unlike generations that preceded us who didn't have the resources we have to hear the word of God and think about the word of God and respond to the word of God. There is no excuse to be distant from Jesus. He came to us and he came to be in us. So did I get in your business today? You thought, man, should have skipped. Are you angry? Are you dismissive? Yeah, you don't understand, preacher. You're paid to do this. You're right. But I still would be empty in my soul if I didn't spend time with Jesus. Are you awakened? Are you being torn apart by the demands of the world? You just can't catch your breath and you're thinking right now, Mark, you don't understand. All the pressure I'm under at work and all the demands, I, I, Martha, Martha, I get it. What you're doing isn't bad, but carve time. Get rid of something you can get rid of so that you can fill your soul and protect yourself so those epic moments when you need courage and strength and faith, you've built it every day. Every single day. And those of you who say, I don't even know if I'm a Christian, what do you mean sit at Jesus' feet? Sit at his feet. Read his word. Talk to him about it. Meditate on it. Experience it. Trust it. Live it out. If you sit here today and you think, I don't even know what this Christianity thing means, I'd love to have a conversation with you. We're going to have a guided prayer moment for you to process what I've laid before you today. And following that, a couple of our elders are going to go to my left over to that table that's got a uh, light on it, and I'm going to go over to this table, and if, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, and you want to sit at his feet and become loved by him and received by him, it's as easy as accepting it. If you'd like to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus, come see me at that table over there. And if you want someone to pray with you and encourage your heart and help you answer some of the tough questions, some of our elders are going to join me to the left over there, and they're going to be there to pray for you. And I know, we talk about this every week, but let's just get it out in the open. I know it's awkward in this big room to climb over people to have a decision. Take care of your soul. It's the most important thing God gave you. And it's worth whatever cost it takes to take care of your soul. Prepare yourself now for a few moments of meditation and reflection on what God might be speaking to us. I love when uh, Mark said, when we sit at the feet of Jesus, it prepares us to understand him, his kingdom, and our purpose. And right now we want to create sacred space within our service so we can reflect on the challenges that we have, we have listened and heard uh, today. So if you want to bow your head, we're going to have a time of guided prayer and there'll be prompts on the screen that you can look at and I'll read the first one for you now. Where in your life are your priorities more like Martha's than Mary's? Spend a moment asking Jesus to reveal that to you.
next is this, what can you eliminate from the demands on your life that will free you up to sit at the feet of Jesus? Lastly, who do you need to share this decision with to hold you accountable to this challenge? Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.